Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a wonderful hour. We're going to talk to Ruth Graham in just a couple of uh, seconds, and then we're going to also talk to uh, Chris Palmer, learn a little Greek. That's all in this hour. Ruth Graham's written uh, 10 books, including the best selling In Every Pew, Sits a Broken Heart, and the award winning Step into the Bible. She loves to uh, motivate people by God's grace and loving acceptance to move from a place of woundedness to a place of wholeness in Christ. She is so outstanding at that, and her book is Perfect Timing. Uh, That's not the title of the book, just the timing of her book coming out is Perfect Timing. It's called Transforming Loneliness, Deepening Our Relationships with God and Others When We Feel Alone. Ruth Graham's on our studio line. Ruth, welcome. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, I love having you on. And I was reading uh, the book, and as I'm getting started, I'm thinking in order to talk about this topic, you had to have gone through it. And sure enough, I'm on like page 13 and I go, yep, there it is. You say, <laughs> you say, for loneliness unchallenged has the power to eat away at our emotional, spiritual and physical health. It was time to get serious about addressing the challenge because I knew after my surgery, I had a long and painful recovery ahead of me and I'd be facing most of the time at home alone. Yikes. So you, you hit this head on. That's right. Most of my books are written out of my own experiences. Uh, and this is no exception. Um, I've spent most of my adult life alone, so I know what it is. Um, and I do make a difference between being alone and lonely mm-hmm. and solitude and isolation. And Ruth, I got all excited when I saw this book because you I know that you've got uh, some spectacular answers for loneliness, and I'm excited to talk about it today. Well, only God has the answers for loneliness, not yeah. me. My, of course, no, of course, me. of course, <laughs> of course. But the idea that God will use this time of loneliness to draw you deeper into a relationship with Him, even even more. That's right. But we have got to allow Him to do that. We have to choose to allow Him to do that. And sometimes when we're lonely, we we just sitting in a puddle of uh, self-pity. Yeah. And uh, we have to look beyond that, and we have to reach out. We, You know, um, so many Americans are lonely. Um, I, the statistic is like 47% of Americans feel lonely, and that's a really high percentage. Um, 54% feel like um, no one knows them very well. Mm-hmm. And that's tough, you know, you, because we all want to be, we want to feel connected, we want to be valued, we want to be listened to, and when we don't have those connections, uh, we are lonely. Ruth, I'll even go as far as and say that a lot of people just would like to be noticed. That's right, exactly, exactly. And uh, the thing that really sort of tweaked my mind was um, I was reading Psalm 102, and I think it's verse 6, and it says, I resemble a pelican in the wilderness. 
And, you know, pelicans are supposed to be by the water. Mm. You know, they are gregarious birds. They, are, they fly in, in, I think they call them squadrons. And um, so to have a pelican alone in the wilderness is very lonely. That's a very lonely picture. And um, we all want to be, like you said, we want to be known. We want to be seen. We want to be valued. That's, that's part of our human DNA, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we want those things. But, you know, if you feel alone, there's hope. The scripture says in Psalm 68, God makes a home for the lonely. And isn't that our longing? It is. We all long for home. Mm. Oh, amen to that, Ruth. So well, can, you, can you share a little bit of your personal uh, time home alone recovery story? Well, well, when you live alone and you have two major back surgeries and you're flat on your back, yeah. you're sort of helpless. And, oh um, and you have to, and before that I had a spinal fluid leak. So I had to lie on my back for about 10 days and, um, before they were able to discover what was happening and, you know, you're staring at the ceiling and you're thinking, oh my goodness. And here I am. Fortunately, I, I did have children who would come in and make sure that I was fed, <laughs> nice. but, um, you know, those hours alone and you just, I got, at first I got really frustrated and I got really uh, upset, but I knew that wasn't going to get me anywhere. So I thought, okay, well, I will um, just begin to talk to God and tell him what was going on in my life, you know, that I really felt alone and I needed him. And so I began to have conversations with God that were very deep and very meaningful. And I mean, I began with confession, just all the confession of my self-pity and all that, you know, I had let build up and I just said, God, here I am. This is me. And uh, I'm alone and I feel lonely. Will you come and help me? And he did. And now that sounds sort of simple, but it sort of is simple because we have the Holy Spirit within us and he's willing. He's our comforter. He's our helper. Um, he's our friend. We can talk to him anytime, day or night. He is our strength. And he was the one that gave me the strength to lie there day after day after day um, in my bed by myself. And uh, I I valued it. As I look back, I I see it as a very valuable time for me. Mm -hmm. Ruth, do you find that the human condition is such that unless you're speaking God's truth into your heart and mind on a continual basis, the human condition will, you'll drift into, into darker thoughts when you're alone? Of course. Yeah. Of okay, course. Good. <laughs> I, I know that I've experienced that myself. Yeah, I have too. And, and I, it's not a good place to be. No. And it's what's scary, Ruth, is you can get there awfully fast, can't you? Yes, you can. Yeah. Yes, and, you can. And you start you to... You have to be on guard. Yes. Thank you for saying that. And because you do, your mind will blow stuff out of proportion at a very fast pace. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and people find, don't find it easy to talk about loneliness. They don't want to admit that they're lonely. We have attached a shame to it. Um, And I discovered that myself when I was flying somewhere to speak. And I had a book in my bag to read on loneliness because I was doing research for the book. And I began to pull it out, and it had lonely in the title. And I thought, you know, I don't want the man next door to, you know, in the next seat with me to um, think I'm lonely. Mm -hmm. So I slid it back in the bag because I I was ashamed. And I think that's crazy. You know, because we all experience loneliness. 
Yeah, and it's it's a hard. It might be a hard thing to admit to. It is, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, Jacqueline uh, Old, professor, explains that many patients uh, find it harder to talk about loneliness than depression. Yes, absolutely. So, Ruth, maybe you would talk about the acronym REACH. I think this is Mm. quite meaningful. Well, this is going to be the tool for us as we experience loneliness. Recognize you're lonely. A lot of people will get so busy and they just try to cover it over and they, they won't recognize that they're lonely. Recognize you're lonely. Express it to someone. Express it to another human being or express it to God. I think it's important to express both. You tell God you're lonely and then tell someone else, a safe person, that you're lonely. And then you um, anticipate what God's going to do with this, that he is going to draw you deeper into himself and enrich your relationships with others and um, connect with God and others. You know, sometimes when we're lonely, it's because we're not helping other people. That's true. And I think it's important to serve other people. And I there's no better thing for getting out of the doldrums than going to help somebody else. I'm, I'm in complete agreement, Ruth. So, so R is recognize, recognize the source, symptoms, and risks of your loneliness. E is express your loneliness to God and another person. And the mm-hmm. A is ex- exciting because anticipate that God will transform your loneliness into something positive and useful his, for his purposes. That's right. And you want to connect with God and others. And then you want to honor God by making your loneliness sacred. Now, how do you do that? You just simply give it to him. Say, God, I'm lonely. Here it is. I want you to use it for your glory. And he honors that prayer. Mm-hmm. I was talking about you and your book uh, in the previous hour. So I was kind of mm-hmm. pr- promoting this conversation I was going to have with you. But also, uh, I was talking to a friend who I always talk to on Mondays on the program. And I said... Oftentimes, in order to uh, have a good friend, you have to be a good friend. That's and, right. Yeah, That's and I know it's a little give and take, and sometimes when you're lonely, it's hard to reach out and get out of that shell. So this acronym you've been sharing, Ruth, is, is really powerful. Yes, it's going to be very useful. It's been very useful for me. And, uh, you know, I, like I said, I've had some powerful lonely moments, but when we honor God um, with our loneliness, uh, there was an incident that I tell about in the book where I was in, living in Texas at the time with three small children, and we had a what I called a farm. They would have called it a ranch in Texas. Um, and my then-husband decided he was going to go hunting on Christmas afternoon and leave me alone with the children. And um, I obviously was not very happy about that at all. And I tried to talk him out of it, and I fussed at him and uh, made him well aware that I was not happy with him. And he went on anyway. He, he waved goodbye, and off he went. And I just really was upset with him, but I looked around the house, and the house needed to be picked up and cleaned up, and the children were playing with their toys, and finally it was bedtime, so I put them to bed and came downstairs, and I realized I had gotten lots of wonderful gifts, and I needed to write thank you notes. So I spent some time writing thank you notes and got them all done, and um, so that was a a task off my to-do list, and then I thought, now what am I going to do? And I thought, well, we have a piano, and I... And not a pianist by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> but I could plunk out some songs. And so I plunked out the hymn, Thou didst leave thy throne in thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. Mm. And I worshiped. So when we are alone, we can worship the Lord. And there's no richer experience um, and, and no 
how we can honor him by worshiping him. And that was now I look back as one of my very favorite Christmases. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's a powerful story. I didn't think it was going to end that way. <laughs> that's a really, really <laughs> strong testament to surrendering and taking that loneliness to God and, and honoring mm. Him through praise and worship. Yes. All right, Ruth, it, let me take a very short break. Ruth Graham is my guest. Her book is Transforming Loneliness, Deepening Our, Deepening Our Relationships with God and Others When We Feel Alone. In her, her book, she talks about recognizing the source, expressing your loneliness to God and another person, Maybe you're that person right now, and it would be helpful or a step forward to say, yeah, I'm that person today. I am feeling loneliness. Uh, If you want to, text the word loneliness to 877-933-2484, and we will, in a very anonymous way, pray for you. Again, text the word loneliness. If you're feeling that today, or maybe you're in a stretch of loneliness, we're just here to support and love on you. 877-933-2484. Ruth Graham is my guest. We'll be right back. She's written a book called Transforming Loneliness, Deepening Our Relationships with God and Others When We Feel Alone. Ruth, I'm getting a bunch of people texting in saying loneliness. So in other words, there are plenty out there and they've been courageous enough to take a step to say, yep, I'm going to admit to another person. So there's already great. great wisdom coming out of your book. Would you talk about how we find relief from the fear and shame of loneliness? Well, that takes a lot of courage, too. Um, I remember when um, I was uh, I was on the board of a local college, and I was invited to some of their social events, and I had to go by myself. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to, you know, and I don't like going to the movies by myself. Nothing like going to the movies by yourself saying, that, that person's alone. And uh, so, but I, you know, it takes courage. You just do it. You just put one foot in front of the other. You put a smile on your face and you begin to introduce yourself around the room and say, hello, I'm Ruth. Um, what, what, why are you here? What, what's your purpose here? And I'm not, maybe that's the wrong question, but are you from here? Did you go to school here? That kind of thing. And put your feet in someone else's shoes and make them feel welcome. I remember years ago, my mother and father sent me off to home to um, boarding school. I was so homesick and uh, I was complaining and complaining and complaining. Finally, my mother said, look around the room and see somebody more homesick than you and make them feel cheer uh, and cheer them up. Mm -hmm. And that's the same principle here is look for other people to serve them. You know, when we're serving people, um, we're not going to be lonely. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at some of the different types of feelings of loneliness that you've described in the book. You're feeling unable to connect with anyone physically or emotionally, uh, feeling Mm -hmm. disconnected, feeling that there's no one who cares, feeling abandoned, feeling as though no one wants to be with you, feeling discontent, feeling left out. These are all really raw emotions. They are. And um, we asked military wives to describe what loneliness was like for them. And they, they use words like hopelessness, isolation, unknown, unneeded, 
empty. Those are those are horrible feelings. And loneliness can be a horrible feeling, but we don't have to stay there. You know, we can move beyond it and we can serve other people. And I think it's important to give this loneliness to God and say, God, I'm feeling very lonely right now. I don't like it. I hate it. As a matter of fact, would you please help me? And when we come to him, honestly, uh, he meets us. There's mm-hmm. no question about it. Yeah. So I know this isn't an over, this is not going to happen overnight, but if you've got heartache and loneliness um, and we want a deeper connection to God, it's just everyday prayer, Bible study, fellowship. Does that sound about the right direction, Ruth? Well, be in community. Okay. Being in community is very important, whether it be a church or a small group or a prayer partner. You just need to have other contacts. Uh, and when I was during the pan- 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 pandemic, I changed churches, which was very difficult, and try to learn, get to know people with a mask on was really hard. But um, it was very important for me, and I really connected with them, even when we had home groups. Um, and that's awkward for me sometimes, because, again, I am alone. But I thought, you know, I want to get to know these people, and I want to serve them, and had lots of opportunities to, to make people meals that were shut in or had somebody die. And um, so I think community gives us the opportunity to serve, the opportunity to open ourselves up. It gives us the opportunity to, to reach, you know, when we recognize and that we um, express it to our community. And then we anticipate God, what God's going to do with it in that community. And um, we can connect with them, and then we can honor them and him in serving them. So I, I just think a community is so vastly important. Um, and yet we have to reach out for it. Mm-hmm. You want to go from uh, friendship poor to friendship rich. That's right. Yeah, exactly. But it, it does take courage and it takes energy. And sometimes when you're lonely, you just feel like you don't have the energy, but uh, he will give it to you. Yeah, that is true. And then sometimes you know, with the pandemic too, Ruth, it's been very difficult for people who sometimes are not getting that little hug from somebody at church on a Sunday because That's they right. were virtual for so long, and sometimes you just need arms around you. That's right, exactly. And I, when I have a little grocery store that I, I go to here, and um, you know, I couldn't see people's expressions, and it was terrible. But I would try my best to speak to everybody and give them a smile, and uh, I, I couldn't hug them. But um, it's just so you know, touch is so important to the human person you know mm-hmm. we just we like to be hugged we like to be touched and um and that but you have to be cautious there you have to oh, be I careful know. that you don't get too involved but um you know a good side hug a good handshake a good warm smile it just all is part of the uh, uh the process of, of feeling connected mm-hmm. and the back of your book ruth which is uh, really nicely put together is Verses and prayers for the lonely, and just prayers for lonely times, because loneliness is probably not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when, right? That's right, exactly right. We we all will feel lonely at some time in our lives. Yeah. Now, do you have a verse or two that you really gravitate towards uh, often? Um, I think the the one that I value is Psalm 68, 6. I've already mentioned it. Uh, God makes a home for the lonely. Right. And, um, you know, home is very important to everybody. And, and a lonely person really wants a home. 
And when you think of all that makes up a home, when God provides that, uh, it's just a very rich experience and feeling. Mm-hmm. So when you would feel lonely from your experience, what would comfort you? The Word of God comforts me. Yeah. I love to go to the Psalms. Okay. Because David really expresses the way we feel. You know, he just simply lets it all rip at times. <laughs> and he's just so honest about how he feels. And I, I love the Psalms. I love the way he talks to God. I love the way he prays to God. So I li- really love the Psalms. I love Jeremiah because Jeremiah is such an honest human being, you know, a, yeah. a great prophet, but a prophet who felt deeply and he felt alone. You know, he even felt like God had turned on him. And um, so I think that the scriptures, there's just nothing better than the eternal word of God to comfort your heart and your soul. Yeah. Ruth, can you take some of your feelings of loneliness and say to yourself, I'm now going to enjoy some solitude and I'm going to, even you can trick your mind a little bit to say, okay, I'm not lonely. I'm, I'm going to enjoy solitude with the Lord. That's right. That's right. And solitude is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a very good that's, thing. That's different from loneliness. And, but you don't want to be isolated. True. That's not a good thing. True. <laughs> we only have a couple of minutes left, and I, I, th- this is probably the perfect time to tell this story. I was like, I think, 25 years old. I was living in Lake Tahoe at the time, working, and it was uh, uh, Valentine's Day, and I had already finished my, my shift where I was working, and I thought, well, I'll go to a movie because it's Valentine's Day. And so I drove into South Tahoe. There was no movie there I wanted to see. I drove down to Carson City. Still no movie I wanted to see. I drove all the way to Reno. I got an hour into this oh, trip wow. now. Yeah, I got an hour into this trip. <laughs> and I finally see a movie I want to see. Steve Martin's The Lonely Guy. <laughs> and Ruth, I, I went into the theater and sat down. And when my eyes adjusted to the light, I looked around and I thought, oh my, I'm the only one here. <laughs> and I watched... You were the, that lonely guy. I watched The Lonely Guy alone in a theater by myself. On Valentine's Day. On Valentine's Day. And I gave the usher a I buck on the way out, and I said, tell this to no one. <laughs> <laughs> and he got a kick out of that. So That's a great story. Yeah, I just have to say, Ruth, this timing is perfect of this book, because there's so many people who have been a little beat up by the pandemic and 16 months of isolation, and we are getting out again. But how important it is to process some of the loneliness, and this is a great book to do it with. And I just want to recommend it to my listeners, Transforming Loneliness, Deepening Our Relationships with God and Others When We Feel Alone by Ruth Graham. Ruth? And it will be out September the 13th. Okay. You can pre-order it on Amazon. Oh, okay. I, I, I thought it was out. So here I am talking about it. Not like yet. you can order it tonight and you can't, but you can pre-order it. You, you can pre-order it, yes. Uh-huh. Okay. So I've got, I've got a copy in my hand, so I'm, I'm really feeling very grateful oh, right now. Oh, you've got a uh, yes, pre-order. So whatever it's called. Yes. So I'll be selling this on eBay for a lot of money tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. I'm just kidding. Ruth, thank you so much for doing the show. (laughs) Delight to have you on. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your interest. You bet. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yep. Ruth Graham's been my guest. Her book, again, is Transforming Loneliness. You want to put that on your wish list, things that you're going to want to pick up uh, in September. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we're going to learn a little bit more Greek. I think it's important to study Greek, and we're going to do it with Chris Palmer. Be right back.
we want to do a deeper study of God's Word, it's really helpful to learn some Greek. So I decided uh, I would like to even selfishly learn more Greek, and the easiest way to do that is invite Chris Palmer on kind of regularly. So he agreed to that, and I'm excited to have him on. This is the first time he's going to be appearing as a semi-regular guest, and we're excited to have him. You go to alightoftoday.com to learn more about Chris, see his good-looking picture, and uh, we're going to learn Greek. So, uh, Chris, welcome. Somebody likes me enough to uh, keep having me on consistently. It's a pleasure. <laughs> uh, well, it's great. And every time I learn a Greek word, it, uh-huh. it's like it, it gets embedded in my brain, and it's, it, it, changes, it changes how you understand Scripture and how important it is that we learn, I don't know, as much Greek as we can. Yeah, well, you know, it, it changed the game for me, and I think that as believers um, who, who desire to take a deep dive, it's one of the avenues that we can pursue, and it, it really is fulfilling and rewarding in a yeah. lot of ways. So not to scare all the listeners, let's tackle like the Lord's Prayer and, and just yeah. kind of look at it in the Greek and say, what can we learn? Because this is something everybody knows, and we can, we can start down uh, learning about that. Okay, so everybody essentially knows this prayer. Uh, There are some different translations that you get as you move through uh, different uh, versions of the Bible. Some of them say, uh, but deliver us from evil, right? I Mm -hmm. guess the ESV might be one of those, you know, and lead to not interpretation, but deliver us from evil. When you go to the Greek text, um, you don't really see it that way. It says, hemas aputu poneru. Um, And so that two right there is an article. And the way that that article was functioning is a definite article. And I would suggest that it's the article of par excellence. Now, that's all a fancy way of saying that. It's saying, like, deliver us from the evil. And the way that this article is in reference to, it would be like if I said to you on the night of Game 7, let's say the uh, the, the Minnesota Wild are in the Stanley Cup, Ooh, I, Cup playoffs. I like where this right? is going. You like where this is going? Yeah. Okay, so... We definitely have to use our imagination for that. <laughs> <laughs> We're in fantasy realm right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so it would like if I said, hey, Bill, are you going to watch the game? Yes. He said, well, what, what game? Right. Well, yes. And he said, what game? And I said, you know, the game. The game seven yes. of the wild playing the Phoenix, or Phoenix, uh, whatever, yeah. Coyotes. You would say the game. Mm-hmm. It's not a game. It's the game. It's the most important, most specific, most singled out game. Um, and that's exactly what this article is doing here. It's like saying, deliver us from the evil. Very specific. And he's referring to Satan. And this comes right on the heels of Matthew chapter okay, 4, where Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert. And he's telling his disciples that evil is not something that is nebulous. It's not something that's out there. Evil is personal. It is intentional. It is a being who has a strategy that you're in not, he's telling his disciples, you're not only in, uh, I'm not the only one in conflict with this strategist. You're in conflict with it. And it's going to require you to take up prayer and ask God for his providence and participating with you against it. Uh, and so this is very applicable to us today to understand that there is an evil presence in the world that was allowed in through our rebellion and through our sin, and this evil causes great suffering for mankind and is, is responsible. There is a responsibility for evil that we have, and uh, I think that's a staple for us as Christians to to look at the fact that 
something's horribly wrong with this world. And there is somebody who is responsible and at fault for it. Um, and that is Satan. And we're implicit with him in that, in our sins, but we have Christ who's delivered us from it. Mm. And that's what this one little article packs a punch with just three little Greek words, brings all that in. Mm. Chris, in our fantasy world, who won the game? Uh, well, you know Tell what? Tell me the wild, please. The wild. Three, two, the wild. Oh, oh what a relief. <laughs> <laughs> Unless right, now, they're playing the Red Wings, and then they don't win. <laughs> okay, now I can concentrate again, so thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that, right, that's a right. really interesting explanation. Uh, yeah. Delivers from the evil. That is, uh, I'll be thinking about some, that now. Now, some translations will, will actually do get it right, and they put the evil one, so okay. they personify it. So e- evil is being personified here. We know who that evil one is, because as you move through the narrative, you see that evil in conflict with... Um, with Christ through the, the religious leaders. One of the more interesting passages, this is kind of getting away from Greek for a second, but it, it, it's relevant to it, um, is when you go in the Gospel of Mark, you'll see in the very first chapter of Mark, Jesus has is contested by different demonic presences, okay? He goes into the temple, there's a demonic presence there, he casts out a demon. All throughout the Markan narrative, you have this demonic presence. Chapter 3, he's back in conflict with demons, in the middle of that, in chapter 2, you see Mark in conflict with the religious leaders. What's interesting about the way that Mark places these narratives is that by placing the religious leaders' conflict with Jesus in the center of where he's in demonic conflict with Jesus, it's suggesting that the religious leaders are in league with Satan. And mm-hmm. that culminates through the narrative, and when you get to the cross, who's taking Jesus to the cross? The religious leaders. But that tips you off to know that it's not just the religious leaders who are doing it. Satan is behind this plan in the beginning. But Christ, in triumphing over, okay, the religious leaders, he triumphs over Satan. And that's the grand bang or the punchline of the story. Mm-hmm. Pastor Chris Palmer is teaching us Greek, and I want more. <laughs> well, you can have more. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, keep it coming. That was yep. a great illustration of uh, the evil one. Uh, uh, what else from the Lord's Prayer can we look at? Well, you know, there's there's a number of things here. Um so Jesus, one of, one of the things that uh, the way that Jesus starts off this prayer is he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I think it's important that he suggests that it's our Father. You know, this is a possessive pronoun suggesting it's not something that is doesn't belong to other people. Uh, or, or it's not just his Father, it's our Father. This is very Trinitarian. It's suggesting that Christ, we come to the Father through Christ. So you have this Trinitarian um theology that's at work in the Lord's Prayer, uh, your kingdom come, the way that it's being suggested right here. Uh, this this word here, come, erikomai in the Greek is an aorist, and it's an imperative tense, which is suggesting to us that the kingdom is to come, but at the same sense, it already has come. I mean, because that's one of the things that we struggle with as, as Christians. Uh, one, of the, one of the questions I get in Bible class a lot, did Christ's kingdom come, or is it to come? Because there's this idea of we're waiting in expectation for the kingdom, but in, in the same regard, he's come, he's inaugurated it. And that is like when he says, your kingdom come, that's, that's what the heiress is telling us there is that well, it has come in Christ Jesus. But in the same sense, it's to come. So he inaugurated it, but the fulfillment of it is not quite yet. So we are in between the inauguration of his kingdom and the total fulfilling of his kingdom. And it's interesting because as you move through that, you'll see that in that time, there is temptation. There is still the working of demonic powers, um, and we still need to trust in Christ while we await for that inauguration to come. And 
So this prayer is really teaching us how to live uh, between the coming of his kingdom and the fulfillment of his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Okay, Chris, we have to put down some ground rules. So whenever you say a Greek word, yeah, I think you have yeah. to say it twice and slowly, <laughs> and then I think you have to make me say it. Uh, because okay, you're so, so familiar with these words, and you blow through yeah. them uh, yeah. because they're so familiar to you. And I, I swear, if we don't hear them and and grasp them at some level, they'll go yeah. out. They'll go out the other ear. Okay. So, so the word for to come or to go for something something to come is erkomai. Erkomai. There you go. That's it. Erkomai. So it would be like e r c h o m a i. Erkomai. Okay. And tell me what that means again. It's the it's the first person it's a verb. It means to come. So when he says your kingdom come, erkomai. Okay. So he's saying your kingdom come. Okay. Yeah. Let's back up to the evil one again. What what is that? What is that one again? Okay. So the word for evil is poneros. Okay. Poneros. So so when you put the article in front of it, uh, it becomes the evil one. So yes. So if you say uh, in in this Greek, it'd be tu paneru. Tu paneru. The that, evil one. Two Paneru, and that would be the evil one. That's the evil one. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So this yep. is this is helpful, and I I don't want to lose listeners if we're trying to actually learn the Greek versus just talk <laughs> about it. That we can we can say two porno. I'm already yep. mispronouncing well, it. Well, that's well that that's actually a word right there. So two porno the, the porno words. Okay, it yep. sounds kind of like inappropriate, but those are what are used for sexual sin. Yes. Um, and Pornea, right? Yeah, porneo. We find that all through uh, the Testament. That's where we get our word for pornography. And these usually refer to explicit sexual sins. Uh, Really, it's a a wide range of sexual sin, um, but it was anything outside of God's design. So these porno words, as they call them, or porneo, would be showing a disruption in God's plan for sexuality. So anything that's a disruption in God's plan for sexuality would fall in line with this. Uh, and it just, it again shows how sin is so destructive, mm-hmm. how sin seeks to destroy. And, you know, the reason why God keeps us from that and, and asks us to live a holy life is because a holy life is the best defense against the miseries that sin brings. And I Amen. think we, we that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, spot on. Um, and I was talking about this in an earlier hour today that we have this tendency to medicalize sin. So we don't say that someone's immoral. We say someone has a sex a sex addiction. Mm-hmm. That way it's right. like, well, it's not entirely your fault. You have to go get treatment. Yep, you know. yep. precisely. Yeah. And, and, and that again comes from, I think, the postmodern culture that we live in uh, that doesn't want to really acknowledge the problem of evil True. that we have in the world. Yeah. You know, everything's relative. So the moment we say there's evil... Now we are we're, we're laying groundwork for absolute truth, um, and our culture really has a problem with that today. And I think Christians need to be wary of that, or need to be aware of that, and 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 be mindful of it. It seems that they don't want to talk about evil too much, but they want to talk about being mad at God for not stopping it. Yeah, you know, C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Actually, this was the big problem he had with evil. Is when you hear him talk about his life, he says. He found himself being very hypocritical as an atheist because he didn't believe in a God and he was angry at God for not existing. So how does that work? <laughs> yeah, I got a problem there. You can't have it both ways, right? God, I'm so mad at you that you don't exist. Yeah. Well, it's like people who are who are almost evangelical with their atheism, 
It's like yeah. you really have to understand God's truth and God's word in order to be so mad about it. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, th- I, I really, again, the atheists that I've encountered, I have compassion on them, and I, I really want to draw them into dialogue and discussion. But I do find that a lot of atheists are just simply bitter with their experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean they are um, perhaps disbelieving in God. I think it's just some for some of them, not all of them, but for some of them it's a way of dealing with their their uh, anger towards their bad experiences in a lot of regard. Mm-hmm. So far, Chris, I have to say, I think we're uh, we're making some progress here. So, Erkami? Erkomai. Erkomai. Okay. Yep. Erkomai. I got to phonetically put this down on paper. Erkomai. And You're doing good. Uh, yeah. So, we're, I'm just trying to learn some Greek. We'll take a break. We come back. Lots more with the Reverend Chris Palmer. Greek for the Week is his podcast, and you can also uh, learn a lot of Greek from his books. His most current one is Strange Scriptures, Deciphering 52 Weird, Bizarre, and Curious Verses from the New Testament. We'll take a short break and be right back with Chris in just a minute. with Reverend Chris Palmer, and we're learning some Greek. We're going to try to do this on a semi-regular basis because I want to learn more Greek, and I believe students of the Bible want to learn uh, the language in its original context, and Chris, you're doing a great job. And I need to mention to listeners, uh, Chris's book that I mentioned before the break doesn't come out until August 31st, so there'll be all kinds of uh, excitement to get the book, I think, by the time that rolls around. So that's all good news. Oh, great. They can, uh, it's called Strange Scriptures, and uh, they can go on Amazon and, and find it. A lot of what I'm talking about today is uh, coming straight from that book. So nice. thanks for the chance, Bill. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's dabble a little bit just to get things started. Let's look at the book of Revelation. I, um, mm-hmm. I, I know you've got something there to share with us, and I want to hear it. Yeah. Okay, so again, we think Revelation oftentimes is this book about, you know, how things are going to go down, the end of the world destruction, et cetera, et cetera. I think we should back up a little bit and not get ahead of ourselves. A lot has gone on in the 80s and the 70s to really kind of put that narrative forward. But I think getting off on that tangent really causes to miss the beauty of what's really being said in here. Um, because as I, I'm doing my thesis work in Revelation, and, and the first question I get is, who's the Antichrist? Is the vaccination the mark of the beast? And we go through all this, and every so often we keep going through all this, uh, maybe we could look at it a little bit differently. So one of the things that I like to show my students is this idea of the word lamb. The word lamb, okay. Lamb, L-A-M-B? L-A-M-B. Okay. 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 The word is found in the book of Revelation 29 times. Remember, you only have, within Revelation, you only have 22 chapters. Okay. So the fact that you find this word so so often used means that it is extremely, extremely important, okay? Mm-hmm. And are you ready to learn another Greek word? Yeah, I am. Okay, so the word for lamb is arnion. Say again? Arnion. Arnion. 
perfect. Arnie on. Perfect. But it's not too far from Arnold. Just so exactly. Arnie. Arnie. Maybe even it. Maybe even it's the word Arnold is a derivative of it. Who knows? Yeah, I like. I like where you're going. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And um, we find it 29 times in Revelation, 28 in connection with Jesus. So this is extremely important. I mean, and and oftentimes you don't hear people talking about this idea of lamb when they're explaining or teaching Revelation. Like, how do they miss it? I can't you know? say I have myself. So this is new information. New information. The way that Christ overcomes is through this idea of being the lamb. So if you go to chapter 5, you, you see Christ, and it says here in chapter 5, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals, right? So there's, mm-hmm. this idea of, there's this idea of conquering. Now, the Greek word for conquer is nikau. Can you say that? Nikau? Nikau. 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 I'm almost yeah, fluent nikau. at this point. One lesson and I'm, like, I, I'm fluent. You got it. Yes. You got it. So, and the wild okay. is one game seven. I'm in a really good mood right now, Chris. <laughs> I'm glad I put you in a good mood. It's Monday, <laughs> Monday, so that's, that's yeah. a good thing. All right, you know. Um, but the word "nikau" in, in in Greek meant in in Roman emperor days, the empire days, uh, to overcome through crushing power. Picture a, a army going into a village and destroying it and burning it and overtaking villages, and that's just how the Roman Empire was and the Roman legion was. They conquered through military force. So when you see this word, you might expect that, but John repurposes it. Conquering is not going to mean military force in Revelation. You're in an upside-down world where everything is upside-down, everything is opposite, because the way of Christ is so opposite. It's so contrary to what we're seeing. And it's and, and this is, you, you expecting conquering to come this way. And then in verse number six, it says, and between the throne, so now you have a throne, so what the dichotomy with the throne is that, well, there's another throne in play outside of Caesar's throne. Yes, it's the throne of God. And the Son of God is on the throne. And it says that you see a lamb standing, though it had been slain. And it's like, wait a second, a lamb is not a really powerful creature, is it? I mean, it's not something that you would, you would expect to, uh, to conquer. And then if you go to Revelation chapter 6, you see that Jesus comes back in this in verse number 15, okay? And it says, the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful, everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling out and saying, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who was seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb? The hmm. wrath of the lamb? Wait a second. The last time I went to the petting zoo, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. I didn't really fear the lamb. I, you know what I mean? I, I'd get in there and pet it. it. These things are so docile and so nice. And yet, the wrath of the lamb, it's such a weird verse. What in the world is this meaning? What John is trying to show here is the way that Christ conquers his enemies is not through the power of and the military conquest that the Roman Empire conquered his enemies. He doesn't take life. He lays down his life like a lamb. And that's the way of the gospel. 
is that through death, Jesus overcame his enemies and overcame the power of the enemy. He didn't go in there with a military assault and take the power and the throne from Caesar. Instead, he died through death, through a sentence that the Roman Empire ultimately gave to him through the manipulation of Jewish leaders. And through doing that, he overcame and became Lord of all. And the book of Revelation is calling believers and saying to them, the way you overcome as believers is by following the Lamb. And that was extremely subversive at a time where everybody was overcoming through violence. He's saying, don't be violent. He's saying, resist this world by following the way of Jesus. That makes me, makes me want to stand up and cheer. <laughs> Should I be like a, a narrator uh, on, a, on a book? It's like <laughs> <laughs> it just, you know, the wrath of the Lamb. I just thought, wow, that's a powerful uh, imagery. It is because, you know, here you have this lamb who is slain and it's it's this image of weakness. But again, it's the weak. It's the gospel is so paradoxical. Yeah, it is. So the weakness is actually strength. What looks like defeat is actually victory. That's what the, you know, the son of God, God becomes human. God dies a human's death. It's God doesn't die. God can't die. But God dies the death of a human. I mean, that is really some, and that's why Paul said preaching this is really when Paul tells the churches, you know, preaching the gospel is really different because to the Jews it is it is a stumbling block, it's offensive, and to the Greeks it's foolishness because the Greeks this is no hero dies on the cross. The, the, the a, a cross was a mark of shame. You 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 tried to go against the Roman Empire. You went against your country. I mean, you as a Roman citizen, you don't want to be seen as a traitor to your country, and that's how. That's how crosses were seen back then, and it was foolishness. The hero never dies in the story. And the Jews were thinking, Yahweh, God, Yahweh, on a cross, dying? Far be it from him. He's supposed to be this. And this is the gospel that Paul preached, and, and it's the gospel that we hold to as dear today. Yeah, wow. Great start, Chris. I think what we have to do now is do some review before we end our time together, because okay. I want to review, because my my notes are kind of in a scribbled fashion, and if I could just read my own handwriting, I would be much better off. So let's just okay. look at some of the words uh, and pronunciations one more time. Uh, what's the first one? It starts with a P. Porn. porn it's oh, not pornea. Okay, so uh, well, that's one we talked about. So porneo is sexual sin. Yes. Uh, and then the word for uh, evil is poneros. Poneros, Poneros. Yes. poneros okay. Yep, so, so okay. Panera yep. with poneros. So... When I'm ordering a Panera, I'll just review Poneros. <laughs> I'm trying and, to. And you could think Panera. You could say Panera's evil. That's the way that you yeah. can remember. <laughs> I don't want to do that because I like Panera, so I'm not going to go there. <laughs> All right, um, oh. er, Urkami. I got that one right. Er-ka-mai. I think. Urkami. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay. You got it. And that. And that again. Urkami again means what? I uh, means to come. Okay. And then that that changes words. That changes. It, it inflects. Uh, over as it becomes different. So you may see it show up in different forms, the way we'll run, running, ran. So erikomai does the same thing, but in its, in its root word, we would say its, it's lexical form is erikomai. That's how yeah. you find it in the block. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the Greek for lamb is arnion. See, you hit that one. That one was perfect. Well, that's because that it's got three letters of my name in it. So four letters, actually. So <laughs> five letters. <laughs> All right. And then uh, Nikau. Yes, that's and so and here's a little tidbit of information that word Nikau is where we get the word Nike. Oh really? Right? Are you making that's that up? 
No, no, no. It's it, that word is comes from the Greek goddess of victory in, in military battle. Uh, and so when Nike, you put on a pair of Nike shoes, you're going to go out on the turf and dominate. That makes sense. And it only cost you 150 bucks. That's all it costs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chris, this is fun and I mean it. So thanks for saying yes to teaching us some Greek. I'm looking forward to uh, having you on. Bill, it's a pleasure, and uh, I love being on the show, and we'll yeah. talk, to you, talk to you next time. Yeah, thanks a lot. Chris Palmer has been my guest. Uh, his book, he's got several books. Uh, you can get one today on uh, his Greek study. Uh, it is called Greek Word Study, and it's 90 Ancient Words That Unlock Scripture. The one that we've been chatting about, Strange Scriptures, comes out at the end of August. But uh, there's lots of resources, um, and you can... Uh, just Google Chris Palmer and learn more about Chris. That wraps up our show. I want to thank all my guests. Uh, the Monday Afternoon Mix is always enjoyable, and Patrick Albanese is always so faithful to show up and start my week off on a lighter note. And then uh, Ruth Graham, who's written a book called Transforming Loneliness, Deepening Our Relationship with God and Others When We Feel Alone. It looks like to be a wonderful read. That's coming out in September. And then uh, Chris Palmer teaching us some Greek. So that is it for today. I'm looking forward to our time tomorrow already. Just so you know, when you lay your head on that pillow, know that God has a great plan for your life. And he loves you, and I do too. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.